So we, we are today like almost exactly one month into summer. And like Duke was even saying, like this life is chaotic. I feel like summer is chaotic. I don't know how other people feel, but summer you're trying to cram so many things into, into one thing. You're trying, to, you're trying to get to the pool. You're trying to go, go on picnics, family reunion. But in the midst of that, a lot of people do what they call a family vacation. All right? Anybody go on a family vacation? This, okay, so same with us. Sarah and I, we went on this, what we were calling a family vacation. And as we're driving, Amanda Bowles sends us uh, an article, and it says, it's important when you're going on a family vacation if, that you realize that there is a difference between a family trip and a family vacation. Because if you think you're going on a family vacation and it's actually a family trip, you're going to be very upset very quick. So the article says, see, the difference is that a vacation is time away from a job, time away from the monotony and the frustration of day-to-day life. It's a time meant for relaxation and fun. But a trip, it's just a journey to another place. So it goes to this, and it's pretty funny, but it goes to this article and it says there's quite a few different questions to help you decide if you're going on a trip or a vacation. So it starts off with, well, how are you going to get there? It says if you're traveling by a car, it's a good chance that you're going on a trip, not a vacation. If you've packed one or more throw-up bags, it's definitely a trip. If packing the car led to a fight with your spouse over who has the better system, it's not a vacation. If you can't see out the back window the entire time you're driving, it's a trip. If your children fought about where they're sitting, it's a trip. If you've broken out that all we could afford to do growing up was camping, then you are definitely on a trip. Well, who are you going with? Well, if you're meeting your extended family, excuse me, extended family or in-laws, trip. If there has been pre-planning tension with extended family, perhaps categorized as passive-aggressive, but you've bitten your tongue but taken it out on your spouse, not vacation. If you're sharing a bathroom with your in-laws and you fear an awkward moment, serious trip. Well, where are you going to stay? Well, if your final destination has a kitchen, it's not a vacation. It's a trip. If you have to go to the grocery store before or during your time away, it's a trip. If you're staying in a hotel room with two double beds, trippity trip trip. <laughs> if you go to bed at 8 p.m., if you have to go into the bedroom at 8, 8 p.m. and you're locked in the room because you're with your kids, then it's, it's a trip. If your final destination has a tent, it's not a vacation. It's not even a trip. That is a camping trip. What are you going to do when you get there? Well, if you're going to visit an aquarium, go see a fort, it's a trip. If you're going to tour a battlefield in 90-degree heat, trip. If you're going to do a jigsaw puzzle at any point in time, it's a trip. My wife would add, if you're going to play putt-putt while you're gone, it is a trip. If it rains and you have to look up laser tag places, trip. What's your role in the family? Well, if you are the default parent or the stay-at-home parent, this is is not a vacation. This is actually a work trip. And the only thing that will be different for you is for a week, you don't have to open and sort the mail. Other than that, it's business as usual. And really, because it's kind of like your job, you should be able to get your tax deductions as a write-off for it. So if you work outside of the home and you're going away, you might be going, getting a vacation from work, but you're going on a trip. Does that make sense? So um, it, it ends, and she says, you know, trips can be fun. They're memorable times to be with your family, and they're, they're great, but they're not a vacation. 
the, and, and you need to realize which one it is. And, and she says, she says, but the, the hope is that someday you're on vacation and you'll know it because you'll only put sunscreen on yourself and you'll fall asleep reading a book to the sound of the waves. And I love, 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 love that because I have been on a trip and I've been on a vacation and there is definitely a huge difference. It also, as we were going on our family vacation, I was kind of like, are we going on vacation or are we going on a trip? You know, so it's, but it's good. But, but this life, I feel like, which it's funny what Duke was saying, it fits so well in and we hadn't talked about that at all in any type of a way, but it fits in so well because this life is like you're going on a trip. This life is no vacation. It's not like you just sit around and relax. Like in this life, you kind of have that, I got to go to the bathroom going on in your ears. You have the, are we, can we stop yet? You have all of that frustration, that, that tension, that, that planning, all that stuff's going, going on in life. And so life is really much more like a trip than it is like a vacation. And there's different ways in which you can take a trip and there's different ways in which you can do life. And so I want you to think with me, of two different families that are going on a trip, because it's what they're getting ready to do is not a vacation, it's a trip, but there's two different families. So here's family number one. They, they decide, you know what, we should go away. And they, they sit and they talk and they decide, let's go, and they decide where they're gonna go. They save up their money, they call work, and they say, hey, we're gonna ask off for these days. So they ask off for work, they know where they're going, they schedule it, they, they book the place. They got somebody who's going to watch their house while they're gone, maybe watch their pet, get their mail. They, they, they got that stuff done. Then they pack their bags. They fill up the gas tank. They make sure that their GPS is working on their phones. They might even go that extra mile of going to AAA and getting those little weird triptych books. And So they're, they're ready to go. So as they're driving, they pay attention to the signs because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there's sometimes where there's no gas station for like 60 miles. And they don't want to be that guy who's on the side of the road with no gas. They, they want to pay attention to the, the bathroom signs because they don't want to be the people who are on the side of the road and one of the people is up in the woods kind of partially covered going to the bathroom. So they've, they've made that um, plan there. Then they also, um, as they're driving, the driver gets cut off really bad, almost causes a wreck. But he thinks, you know what? The guy that just cut me off, I'm sure that was an accident. And he lets it go. No big deal. So that's family number one. Family number two, they wake up one morning and they throw some stuff in the car and they just start driving. They haven't booked a place to stay. They um, don't really know how long they're going to be gone. They didn't bring their wallet. They didn't bring any credit card. They don't have a map and they decided that they wouldn't even leave their phone at home or they'd leave their phone at home because they didn't feel like they needed it. They're going to be on a trip or a vacation. And so they have none of that. They haven't planned who's going to watch their pet or their house while they're gone. And they're driving and they gets cut off and he gets so mad he begins honking and flicking off the driver of the car in front of him. And he looks down to realize that his gas light is on. What do you think each trip is going to look like? Family one, family two. How many people think family two might not have a great trip? You know what I'm saying? And so and I think it's the same thing. I was like, we don't have a guarantee that family number two is going to come home and their dog's going to be dead because nobody fed it for a week. We don't know for sure if family number two is going to run out of gas. We don't know for sure if family number two is going to be sitting there on the side of the road, run out of gas with them standing up in the woods peeing. But it seems very possible. And it, there's these different ways in which we can take the trip and it has consequences. And in the same type of way, there's different ways in which we can take the trip of life. 
There's two totally different ways. Now, the book of Proverbs is what we're going to talk about today. In fact, um, if you were here a couple weeks ago, Ron gave a message on Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Well, I'm going to kind of take some of what he said and kind of take it a different direction. We are going to talk about the entire book of Proverbs. Um, One sermon, 31 chapters, and my hope is that what happens today isn't just a message you're like, oh, this is really cool, but my hope is that this is a message that helps you when you encounter the book of Proverbs from this point forward. Does that make sense? There's two, the book of Proverbs basically says there are two ways in which you can live. You can live wise or you can live like a fool. And it gives these kind of things that will happen. Sometimes it seems like they're these um, divine promises, but I don't think that they are. I think when we read the book of Proverbs, we should not see these things as definite promises, but we should see these things as expected outcomes. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget your teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of your days and the years of your life, and peace they will add to you. So in a way, it's like, hey, if you just remember what Proverbs says, you're going to have a long, peaceful life. Like, I think that there's a good chance that could happen, but I don't think that just because you've read those and remembered those and done those, that that's a definite. I don't think it's a divine promise. Another one, um, Train your child in the way that he should go, and in the end, he will not depart from it. I think we as parents can use that verse, but here's the problem. It is possible that you do all the right things as a parent to teach them the the love and the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and they may not follow the Lord. And I think if we treat this verse like it's a divine promise, then what we can do is this. We can go, I must have trained the kids wrong. And it can produce this, this guilt and this shame And so I don't think that we need to come to Proverbs thinking of these as divine promises, but we come to Proverbs looking at this and saying there's two ways in which we can live, and there are expected outcomes by how we do this. In the same way that family number one, family number two, they could have, we could kind of see what probably will happen. So before we jump into into uh, neck deep into uh, Proverbs, let me give you a quick background. So the book of Proverbs is written by the guy named Solomon. Solomon is King David's son. So we talked a little about King David last week, David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba. So that David has a kid, kid's name Solomon. Solomon becomes king, long story, but he becomes king. And he, uh, one day is kind of, God comes to him and, Sol- and says, hey, I'm going to give you whatever you want. One thing, what do you want? And Solomon says, God, I want um, wisdom. He doesn't ask for money, he doesn't ask for fame, he doesn't ask for possessions. He says, God, I, I'm, I forget how he words it, but he kind of says, like, I'm young, I'm kind of dumb. I need wisdom. And God is impressed by the fact that he asks for wisdom, so God gives him wisdom. He gets this wisdom, and it goes on in um, 1 Kings chapter 4. God gives Solomon this wisdom, and it says, His wisdom and understanding were beyond measure, and the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashores. He became so wise that all nations would send people to come sit and listen to his wisdom. So that's the guy who's writing this book. He, he speaks 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. He is a wise dude, and people are coming far and wide to come listen to his wisdom. Um, in it, like I said, he, he talks about the ways to live wise, the ways to live like a fool. So here's what uh, overview of what he says wisdom is. If you want to live a wise life, Um, fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the book of Proverbs says. If you want to live wise, you trust the Lord. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. The, the, The wise are humble. 
They listen. They, they take instruction. They can take criticism. They're giving people. They're generous with their money, with their time, with their, um, with their own wisdom. And so even, they're even uh, generous to their enemies. And so um, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So it's telling us if you want to be wise, you're going to fear God, you're going to trust God, you're going to um, be giving um, self-controlled. There's another one. Self, the, the wise are self-controlled. They control their tongue. They control how they spend their money. They, they, they're in control. Um, they think about what they're doing. And so Proverbs 4:26, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. They're content. They're disciplined. In fact, Proverbs 12 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. So that's the wise. The fool is very different. The fool, they trust in themselves. They um, are wise in their own eyes. You ever met somebody like that? They know it all. They know it all. They're prideful. Um, they uh, can be loud and arrogant. They can be selfish, full of strife. They're quarrelsome. They're greedy. They want more and more, and they want it to be spent on themselves. They give no thought to their ways. They're often filled with uh, quick temper. They often speak rashly. They speak harsh words. In fact, Proverbs 14, 17 says, a man with a quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. They're always wanting more. They're undisciplined. They lack self-control. In fact, uh, Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So Proverbs, the entire book, the summary of the book of Proverbs, this super wise guy writes it. And in it, he says, there are two ways that you can live. Everyday life, you can be wise or you can be a fool. It hits on almost every aspect of everyday life. The book of Proverbs talks about marriage. It talks about husbands and wives. It talks about um, adultery. It talks about parenting. It talks about money, how to work. It talks about ethics. It talks about friendship. It talks about the tongue. Like I said, I think the book of Proverbs hits on every aspect of everyday life. And I would say it's probably the most practical book in the entire Bible. And with that, then, I would say that it's very possibly one of the most important books for us as followers of Christ to read and to study. So today what I want us to do from this point forward is I want us to do two things. Number one, I want to share two ways that I think people typically read and study the book of Proverbs. So two ways that people typically read and study the Bible or study the, the book of Proverbs. The second is I want to give two additional ways that I think people should read and study the book of Proverbs. So my challenge for you is to um, write in your Bible if you're okay with that. Um, but what, when you get into the Proverbs, like in the like, little spot where you have a little bit of room and it tells you Proverbs, like to, to write a couple things in there as you go. And there, there'll be a couple things that I'll tell you um, that I think would be good to, to um, write in there. Because again, my hope for today is not just a message that's for today, but it's a message that helps you as you encounter the book of Proverbs from this point forward, if that makes sense. So before we jump in... Before we jump in, let's pray. God, I um, confess to you that I need you. 
God, I pray that you would use your words, not mine, and that we would learn much from this book. So God, I pray that as my mouth opens, your words would come out, and I pray that you would teach me just as much as, as anyone else has taught, because Lord, I know this is something that I need to hear, and something that you've already been working on in my heart, I pray that you'd continue to do that, but uh, again, God, I just pray that um, you would use this. We know that your word says that, it, um, that your word does not come back void. I pray that you will use this message for your glory in my life and the lives of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I think that there's two ways which people typically use the book of Proverbs. The first one is this. I think that they use it to help them um, walk wisely or skillfully. In fact, that word wisdom means skill. So um, if you met somebody who was this fantastic um, uh, sculptor, right? They have skill in sculpting. Well, the same word is used for wisdom. And so this is specifically dealing with how do you have wisdom in living, that's what the book of Proverbs is really all about. And so I think some people use the book to help them to, to, to live wise or skillful lives. They kind of use it as like, this book is like a guideline for good behavior. Um, I've heard it said that the book of Psalms teaches you how to be on your knees, where the book of Proverbs teaches you how to stand. And what's meant by that is the book of Psalms helps you see how to be real and vulnerable and go before the Lord. But the book of Proverbs helps you see how should you live among other people. And so that's kind of the, the book of Proverbs. And a lot of people, I think, use it to help them learn how to live wise or skillful lives. And so they might read a verse like Proverbs 13.3 that says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And they might be like, oh, wow. I think I talk too much sometimes. And then they read another verse Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, but when he, when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. And they, 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 they see this, and it changes their mind about, about something. And they, oftentimes, we as people, we want to just talk rather than just listen. And so somebody wants to live a skillful life, and so they read that, and they think, you know what, I just need to learn to just be quiet sometimes. And so they, it changes their mind about something, and then it changes some actions. So I think that that's sometimes what people do with the book of Proverbs is it teaches them how to walk skillful through this life. They might read a verse like Proverbs 22.7 that says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And they might say, oh wow, if I'm in debt, I kind of become a slave to the lender. And maybe it totally changes uh, how they live. They choose not to go into debt. They choose not to buy that car that they want. They choose to not put something on the credit card when they don't have the money to pay for it. Maybe they even choose to go to a different school than where they were really wanting to go because it's a wiser financial decision. So I think that people use Proverbs, and I think it's a great way to use the book of Proverbs to see what wisdom is and to help walk through this life more skillfully. They might read a verse like, um, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And they might like look at their life, like take like an inventory of their life and realize, you know what? Um, I love video games. I'm just making one up. I love video games. I really would like to spend a lot of time playing video games, but you know what? That's kind of a worthless pursuit. I know that I love video games. And so for quite a while, I would give myself a two-week period of time from 
like between like right around Christmas to New Year's where I was allowed to play video games. The rest of the year, I wasn't even allowed to do it. And, and no lie, I would pretty much say to my wife, yeah, I'm going to be in the basement. Don't let the kids come down here. I'm going to be playing video games. And it, it was kind of a worthless pursuit. I won several games, though, but that doesn't really do anything for me now, right? So worthless pursuits. Some people might look, you might look at the hobbies that you have and be like, you know what? In all honesty, these are worthless pursuits. And so the book of Proverbs oftentimes uses, is used to help us figure out how to wisely or skillfully walk through this life. Um, the second way that I think is a really good way in which people use the book of Proverbs is they um, use it to help recognize wise ones. They use it to help figure out who are wise people for me to hang out with. And so they look and they see, wow, um, a verse like, make no friendship with man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. That's Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. And so maybe they, they use the book of Proverbs to recognize, you know what? These people um, are filled with anger and they lack self-control. And they almost can picture this group of people as um, people that are like on a train and the bridge is out ahead of them. And they think, you know what? I should be careful when I'm spending time with them. Now I want to say two things here. One, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners, and we are too. So do not hear me say that anyone should use the book of Proverbs to get out of hanging out with people who are in need. It's 100% not true. But who are we spending more time with? Are we, are we being pulled up or are we being pulled down by the people around us? And so I think that people can read through the book of Proverbs and it help, help them recognize wise people to spend time with. Um, Bad company corrupts good character. The book of Proverbs can and should be used to help us understand who are wise ones. What about this? Um, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. It's Proverbs 12.4. There's a couple other um, uh, verses in Proverbs that say that um, a, a, a woman, a quarrelsome wife... So it says, a quarrelsome wife is like the continual drip of water. You know what that translates to? A quarrelsome wife is annoying. Hopefully, the book of Proverbs helps us recognize wisdom. And so some of us guys who aren't married yet, that we figure out, who is this that we should be dating? It helps us recognize wise ones. Girls who aren't married yet, hopefully this helps us see what wisdom is and helps us recognize wise ones and realize that guy, he's not willing to work hard. That guy does not fear the Lord. That guy, and they go through the, the gamut of things, and it can help them recognize wise ones. And I, I can tell you this from experience of looking around at other people. You marry someone who is not good in that regard, it's, it's going to go rough, rough, rough. And so hopefully, and it's great for people to use this book to help them learn how to walk wise and skillfully through this life. It's good to use this book to help recognize wise ones. But I think there are two other ways that we should use this book. If you have a Bible, flip open to Proverbs 26, 7. Proverbs 26, 7. I'll go ahead and read 7 through 12. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. 
Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is like one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. When I read this, something happens in me. I so often can read through Proverbs and I can use this book to help me learn how to live wise. Wise, you you shouldn't have a quick temper. But do you know what can happen? Something can happen. Somebody can do something stupid, say something stupid, uh, offend me in some sort of way, and I will snap. And then I'll decide, I'll read Proverbs, this is not a good thing to do, and I'm not going to do it anymore. And guess what happens? Somebody does something stupid that makes me mad, and I snap. And I continually, like the same type of thing happens. Like I decide, okay, I'm never going to yell at my kids again. Doesn't work. Okay, okay, I'm not going to overeat anymore. And then last night I eat donuts and I can't sleep, right? Like we have these things that happen in us and, and, and we cannot seem to make the change. We know it's wise to, to do this, but we don't do it. You know what, I, when I read this verse, you know what I see? In my life so often I am like a dog returning to vomit. I know that this relationship is not a good one. I know that when I work, it should be like this. I know that all of these different things, I know I should not be quick-tempered. I know, and you come up with all these things. I know these things, right? But guess what happens? I am like a dog returning to his vomit. And there's something that's crazy in this. is The knowledge of these Proverbs does not change you. You know how I know that? Because of Solomon. Solomon, wisest guy that ever lives, right? He writes most of this. Super wise guy. Guess what happens? In, in 1 Kings chapter 10, a lady named Queen Sheba, she travels far and wide to come be by him. She gets to him, and she listens to his wisdom, and she says, the reports um, that I had of you are nowhere near accurate. You are far wiser than, I, than even the best reports of you. And we're like, wow, this is a great guy. And then you flip open to chapter 11. And it says, but Solomon loved foreign women. Guys, the love of women can do major destruction. The love of foreign women. And he begins marrying all these women. Side topic about multi-women marriage. And so we're not going to talk about that. But he marries all these women. And they love all of these false gods. And he begins to be sympathetic toward their their God that they love. And then eventually he begins building altars for their false gods. And he becomes divided. Solomon knows the Proverbs. He writes the Proverbs. But the knowledge of the Proverbs doesn't do anything long term. We can read and we can study the book of Proverbs and we can learn in our head wise ways to live and we can bend ourselves to make us produce action in that, but it won't last. What I've found is with me that I am like a dog that returns to his vomit, I so often am wise in my own eyes. And I can look back and I can see that's a problem that Solomon had. 
And that same problem goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. God says to him, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but guess what happens? They think, but I think that it would be good for me to eat. I wonder if it would taste good if I eat it. And they decide we should eat of this. They've been told not to, but they know something that God doesn't know, apparently, and they decide this is something that we should do. And so the thing that is in you, the thing that is in me, is that we are like dogs that return to our own vomit. When we read the book of Proverbs, what I believe we should, the way we should read it, is when we see folly, we should see us. When you read through and you see these horrible things, stupid things that people are doing, when you read through it, that should, you should say, that, that's me. So when we read through the book of Proverbs, I think what should happen is it should help us see by our very nature that we are people of folly. And we are in the need to sit with someone who will impart wisdom to us. Queen Sheba travels far and wide to come sit before Solomon to have Solomon impart wisdom to him, to her. And in the same way, we should realize that we are a fool in the need of someone to impart wisdom to us because we, by our very nature, are folly. We, by our very nature, are so quick to be like a dog returning to its vomit. We know we shouldn't do this. We know this is not what's best for us, and we do it anyway. So who is it then that we sit with to impart wisdom to us? It's not Solomon, right? Solomon knows what's wise, but he doesn't do it. Like, guys, um, I can promise you that if I wrote a book on how to fish well, you should not buy the book. I have probably caught three or four bluegills ever, okay? Now, if my father-in-law writes a book on how to fish, you should probably pay attention to it if you want to be a good fisherman, or if at least you want to pretend like you're a good fisherman. I can say that because he's not here today. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that, though. But you know what I'm saying? Like Solomon writes this book and he has the knowledge of it, but he's not able to do it himself. And so this book can not just be a simple way for you and I to, to, to live a, a better way, a more skillful way. There needs to be something more than that. And it's, and it's that we should, be, it, we should see that we are um, people of folly in need of someone to impart wisdom to us, and that person is not Solomon. I think it needs to be somebody who is wiser than Solomon, somebody who was before Solomon. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need someone to impart wisdom to us that is far better than Solomon, somebody who was before Solomon. We need someone that was before us. We need somebody who was before everything. We need somebody who was there at creation. We can go and we can look for wisdom in Solomon because Solomon writes uh, Proverbs, but maybe we need to go to somebody who speaks in parables. We can go before Solomon because he was of the kingly line of David that one day would, would give us a king that would be an eternal king. We could go to Solomon, but I don't think it's good enough. I think we need to go to somebody who's also from that line, and it's Jesus. We, need to go, we could go to King Solomon, and Solomon, he knows the wisdom, but he doesn't do it, right? He turns, he, he becomes divided. Or we could go to somebody for the wisdom that was not divided, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, speaking of Jesus, 
or of God, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The book of Proverbs should help us see that we, by our very nature, are people of folly in need of someone to impart wisdom to us, and that someone is Jesus. Someone who, as I said, was before. Someone who is after. Maybe it's someone that can forgive sin, that has the power to forgive sin. Someone who has the power to conquer death. The book of Proverbs shouldn't just be used for us to say, oh, this is a wiser way for me to live, or oh, these are wise people. But the book of Proverbs should help us see that we are people of folly and the need of someone to impart wisdom to us. And that wisdom, that person of wisdom is Jesus. When you read through the book of Proverbs, you should look for the wise one, Jesus. If you kind of reread the book of Proverbs and every time it says wisdom, you kind of change it to Jesus, it totally changes the way that you read it. Proverbs points to the wise one, Jesus. Jesus is the one that imparts the wisdom to us. Think about this. Solomon builds a temple, right? He builds this beautiful temple, which is where the presence of God is. He builds this wonderful temple. But maybe we go to somebody to impart wisdom to us that built a far greater temple. For those of us who are in Christ over a relationship with Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is a better Solomon. In fact, Jesus even says, even, he says, something greater than Solomon is here talking about himself. So when we read the book of Proverbs, we should see that um, we are the person, people of folly and need of Jesus. Apart from, um, apart from Jesus, we are like family number two. Remember, all the way back to family number two, two ways in which you can live on a trip, a wise way and a foolish way. Apart from Jesus, we are like that family number two who aren't making the proper preparations for the trip that we're on. All of us in this room, news for us, all of us are on a trip right now. The trip is life. And the destination begins the day that we take our last breath here. So, if we don't have Jesus, if the, even when we read the book of Proverbs, it doesn't take us to Jesus, then we have a problem. Because all of us are on a trip. So let me kind of start to wrap up with this. Whoa, that was loud. <clears throat> Knowing Proverbs might make you wiser for a day. It might help you change your mind on something, and it might even help you change your actions on something for a while. But Proverbs don't change your heart. We, by our very nature, are people of folly in need of a wise one, the wise one who will take up residence in us. The book of Proverbs should be used to help us see Jesus. The book of Proverbs should be to help us see that we are people who are foolish in need of Jesus. Again, I think to kind of close this out, I think oftentimes people read the book of Proverbs and they see this is a wise way for me to live. It's not a bad way to read the book of Proverbs. They read it and they say, this is what wise people look like. Not a bad way to read it, but I think it's incomplete. I think when we read the book of Proverbs, we should see ourselves in the fool and that we need someone to impart wisdom to us. Um, remember that uh, King Solomon had people from all nations come to sit 
for him to impart wisdom to. That there's a day in which um, all nations will have somebody sitting before Jesus for him to impart wisdom to. The Bible says that um, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when you read the book of Proverbs, here's what I want you to do. Open up back into the front cover of Proverbs and I want you to write this. Fool equals me. Not Brian. Write your own name. You can put my name, but put it after yours. And not because I'm any less of a fool. But fool equals me. Wise one equals Jesus. And it will absolutely change the way that you read this book. And it will change what you see. And you will begin to recognize yourself as the fool who's in need of someone greater to impart wisdom to you. I want to close with one sentence. Wisdom is not in actions. True wisdom is in a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, when I think of Jesus throughout the word, I think that he knew the hearts of the people he was with. Oftentimes people said something and it's, it's in, in, in your word says, and Jesus, knowing their hearts, he is wise. You can see that people are questioning him and, and he answers their questions and at one point it says, and no one dared to question him anymore. It's because Jesus is wisdom. Jesus, when he comes to one of the disciples, he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. He is the wise one. Jesus is walking amongst a crowd and people are all around him bumping into him. And he realizes that there was a woman who was touching him and he says, who is it that touched me? It's because he is the wise one. Jesus said, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. The thing is, is, is Jesus was wisdom. Jesus often stumped the Pharisees with their questions because he is, because he's wisdom. He knew that he would die, but he would rise again. He knew that it was the cup, what the cup was. And he said, I don't want this cup, but by your will. God, help us see as we read through Proverbs that we are that fool. Help us to see that we are people who so often turn and we're like a dog returning to its vomit. God, I pray that we would not just read the book of Proverbs trying to be a better person, or we wouldn't read the Bible thinking this is just going to help us be a better person, but that we would read the word and we'd be confronted with the one who is wiser, and that through that, we, like Queen Sheba, who went to King Solomon, bowed before him to impart wisdom to him, to her, that we would bow our knee before Jesus, asking him to impart wisdom to us. God, I pray that this um, word would truly teach us what it means to be wise and teach us the source of all wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.